Well, welcome again to all of you watching online. My name is Mark. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Faith Community. And it falls to me to conclude the series that Pastors Larissa and Vince uh, began on looking at the presence of God through us here at Faith Community. And I have to say that this is one of the most exciting topics for me because as we close this series, we get to look at the theme of God's kingdom. Uh, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, those lines uh, taken from the prayer which Jesus taught us to pray. Now, as we introduce this theme, I just simply want to say that my life has been shaped by books. I came uh, to faith in Jesus Christ uh, simply by reading uh, the Bible uh, cover to cover. And as I read through this, I was compelled that Jesus was making claims that if they were true, I could surrender my life to him. And then over the years, I would just read voraciously. I was introduced to C.S. Lewis and um, uh, Gordon MacDonald, uh, well-known Christian fantasy writers, uh, J.I. Packer, uh, Michael Green, and others. Uh, but it wasn't until my first year of grad school at Fuller Seminary, in those years you would take Greek intensively, Greek being the language of the New Testament writers, and you would take Greek five hours a day from eight to one, Monday through Friday, and then you would go home and you would just memorize, 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 so that at the end of 10 weeks, you could sight read any passage of the New Testament and recognize all words that occur 20 times or more. And so with a simple and thin dictionary, you could begin to sight read and translate uh, the New Testament. It was intense, and, uh, but really rewarding. And during that time, uh, you would take this class called Foundations of Ministry. And in this class, you would read books by well-known Christian uh, authors or pastors or leaders. And so during that class, I read this book, I Believe in Evangelism. Evangelism discusses how we can best influence uh, the world around us towards Jesus Christ and our responsibility to engage. And in the pages of this book, uh, the author, David Watson, uh, wrote about the Kingdom of God. And it profoundly impacted me, so much so that the next quarter there was a man teaching an intensive class where you get a quarter's worth of lectures in two weeks going every day um, from five to nine, or was it seven to ten? Anyways, uh, whatever it was, you would, you would do that every day for two weeks and then you would write your papers and things. But I was so impacted by this and the message that he brought that I ended up inviting him over to our apartment uh, for dinner and out of that came an invitation to move to England in three years when I finished school. And while in England, we met a couple, Ed and Corinne Beach, who were celebrating 35 years of marriage. And so they, they set aside one day in England for every year that they had been married. So on their 35th day, Carol and I met them. We talked. They talked about the church they were worshiping at and how they might need another pastor. We were wanting to return to the States at that time. And so um, because of this book, we moved to England. Uh, we moved to the States. We moved to San Diego in particular. And so one could say that this one book set the trajectory uh, for my life. My second quarter at Fuller introduced me to this book. 
Uh, it's called The Theology of the New Testament, written by a scholar named Gordon Ladd. And Ladd's theme is, is that the kingdom of God is the uniting theme that brings together the Old or the First Testament and the New or the Second Testament, uh, creating a unified testament of God's redemptive purposes in the world today. And so uh, when I read this, it was like scales fell from my eyes and this theme of God's kingdom uh, just overtook me. And it has shaped how I view my life, how I view my relationships, how I view the world around me, how I view my purpose as a pastor, uh, as I, how I view my understanding of equipping and releasing women and men uh, for the purposes of God in their life, how I think about every local church being a missional community that can influence and cast a giant shadow uh, that's global. Uh, all came from this theme of the kingdom of God. And so it's because of that that I have a special joy this morning of being able to look at these themes t together with you. Uh, in fact, uh, almost all the books on these shelves uh, deal with uh, the kingdom of God. And so let's begin this morning by looking at Luke's gospel, chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself up completely. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. Then he placed his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. But the president of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the crowd, There are six days on which work should be done. So come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from its stall and lead it to water? Then shouldn't this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be released from this imprisonment on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? To what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the wild birds nested in its branches. Again he said, or he asked, To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would open up our minds and hearts, allow you to engage us, uh, Lord, so that we might become both excited about your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, your very presence being expressed in the world uh, through us. But Lord, not only would we be excited, uh, but that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would fan in us a flame of engagement because we know, Lord, that as you overtake us with these themes uh, of your presence, uh, come and coming, uh, 
Lord, that our hearts might engage and want to be partners, co-workers with you in multiplying your kingdom presence in our world today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone once asked uh, the novelist and short story writer uh, Flannery O'Connor, what's the meaning of your story? And she responded and she said, if I could tell you that meaning in a sentence, I wouldn't have had to write the story. So I'm aware that uh, we're going to look at these passages this morning, two, two paragraphs of which deal with these two parables. And in a sense, I'm going to try and share with you my understanding of the meaning of this. Uh, but in doing so, I'm kind of robbing these parables uh, of their purpose, which is to provoke our imaginations and engage us so that we are excited about God's kingdom presence in our world today. So it's, it's kind of a crazy thing to teach uh, didactically on something that is meant to uh, provoke us uh, in, in our imaginations. So um, I recognize that and just ask that you bear with me this morning because part of what we need to do is unpack uh, the background. Uh, now, key to this is uh, that out of the context of Jesus healing uh, this woman who had been uh, ill, uh, scripture says that, that she had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years, uh, that, this, that this woman had been so bent over uh, that she couldn't even straighten herself up for 18 years and Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. And then when uh, the crowd around him, uh, the, at least the religious leaders, the, the synagogue president, uh, begins to take umbrage at what Jesus did, uh, Jesus then says, therefore, what, should I, what is the kingdom of God like? Uh, what should I compare it to? Uh, so, so in and of itself, that provokes the idea, the question, uh, by way of background, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, what's the Jewish understanding of the kingdom of God in the first century? And what are they longing for? Well, the kingdom of God uh, can be summarized simply as God's reign, uh, his rule, uh, the realm that he rules over, and the, his real kingly presence in the realm in which he rules. Now, the Jewish understanding of the first century certainly understood that, that God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Uh, the Jewish understanding was is that God has, had established his realm uh, by electing uh, the Jews, the people of Israel, and by giving them land. Uh, but over the years they had been conquered, they had been exiled, they had returned to the land and was quickly conquered and overtaken again. So, so the Jews had this very physical expectation uh, that, that at some point in the future God would return, uh, his very person would come, re-establish his earthly realm and take reign over it. So when Jesus shows up and begins preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, he has captured the imagination of the Jewish people. Uh, now also by way of background is this prophetic promise uh, of the establishment of God's kingdom through Israel. And back in Ezekiel uh, chapter 17, there's this prophetic promise that God will take this towering cedar and he will take a sprig off the tree 
and he will plant it on a mountain uh, where it will grow again uh, to enormous scale uh, of which all the birds of the air, all the wild birds will be able to find their nest in that tree. Uh, and so it's a universal vision that, that God will plant this feeble sprig, Israel, uh, turn her into a mighty tree, a mighty cedar of Lebanon, towering on this mountain. And from this mountaintop, which the Jews believe was Mount Zion in Jerusalem, that, that, that the birds of the air, the nations of the earth would come and gather uh, in their tree. So it was very much a national vision, uh, but still God's real presence, uh, his reign uh, over a realm that could be physically identified. And so on this occasion, uh, Jesus uh, heals this woman, this insignificant person. Uh, the president of the synagogue and other leaders are highly critical of him for healing, doing work on the Sabbath. And after doing that, Luke then leads us into these parables and he says, therefore, or then, which means he's connecting these two parables with what has just happened before. And, and as he does so, he quotes Jesus and he says two questions. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what will I compare it? What is the kingdom of God like? And to what will I compare it? And he gives these two parables. One of a seed-throwing man who throws mustard seeds, uh, which are very small, very tiny, uh, into, into the garden uh, where they grow and they overtake so that the birds of the air uh, can dwell in its trees. And then the kingdom of God is like a baker woman uh, who takes a little bit of leaven, leaven, like it's like a sourdough starter. It's not a powder yeast. It's like a, a sourdough starter that you take a little bit of and you mix it into the loaf. And by the way, the quantity here is enormous. Uh, uh, the measures here are about 100, 150 pounds, uh, so it'd be capable of feeding hundreds of, of people. Uh, so again, it's this universal picture that's being presented. Uh, but uh, the kingdom of God is like a seed-throwing man or a baker woman uh, who start off with something small uh, and it grows to something large. Uh, the first one particularly, uh, the mustard seed, is, is about size and scale. Uh, the second parable is about transforming power, but in it we see five characteristics uh, of the kingdom uh, that, that I want to look at this morning. The first is the contrast uh, from small to big. Uh, this idea that something so small that would be imperceptible could have such a gargantuan uh, influence or effect and so uh, we have the story of the mustard seed which grows the the, the leaven the, the sourdough starter which is mixed and becomes hidden so this these imperceptible uh, beginnings uh, how do they start pastor Deb here does strength finders um, boy if there's ever a time when you covet woo uh, it's when you're starting off with people uh, for whom your only entry is relational. 
And for people with woo, uh, woo people are like the light bulb in a dark room. You turn them on and everybody comes to them. Uh, I don't know what the opposite of woo is, but that's me. Uh, when I walk into a room, uh, I'm Mr. Cellophane. I'm transparent. People are not necessarily drawn to me. Uh, but how do you begin? Uh, where do you begin? Uh, I'm an impatient person, and so the idea that, well, I'm going to have to begin small, uh, and people may not even know I'm there, but that's how the kingdom begins. The kingdom begins small. It seems inadequate, uh, unfitting to the task set before it. Uh, but, but Jesus gives us this contrast uh, between something small that, that permeates, that influences, that extends to become universal. It's like the old aphorism that the journey of 10,000 miles uh, begins with the first step. Uh, the, our life in Jesus Christ is the journey of 10,000 yeses. It's small yeses, big yeses, convenient yeses, sacrificial yeses. Uh, but, but this kingdom life uh, and all that is attended with it, uh, it begins small. Second is not only the contrast, but the characteristic uh, that, that God's kingdom has this inherent power. Uh, just as it's the, a seed has an inherent power uh, to sprout and to grow, or a starter yeast has this inherent power to permeate uh, the entirety of the dough, uh, so it is that, that the coming of God's kingdom has with it this inherent power, and because it has this inherent power, it has this inherent promise uh, that it will grow and it will extend. Where the first parable is concerned with extension uh, to the whole world, uh, the second parable deals with its um, capacity to, to influence and transform every place that it's touching. Uh, which again means that as agents of the kingdom of God, uh, we, we have this capacity uh, within us. Thirdly, uh, compassion. Uh, compassion for the insignificant. The reason why this, these parables are spoken is it's Jesus' response to the critics around him that are saying, you should have never healed this woman on the Sabbath. She is not worth breaking the law over. Uh, and Jesus says, you're hypocrites. Uh, you break the law every time you take your donkey or your ox to water on the Sabbath day. And you're saying that this human being, this woman, uh, no matter how insignificant you think she is, uh, she has more significance. And what we learn about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God flourishes in its expression towards everything and everyone that the world considers challenging for me. This, this compassionate drive uh, towards never overlooking uh, the insignificant. And therefore, this teaching of, of Jesus about the nature of the kingdom of God, how does he compare it? What is it like? And what drives these comparisons? It's the fact that he has just healed someone who those in power consider to be insignificant, but Jesus has great compassion for. And this begins to influence and shape how we think about being ambassadors of God's kingdom. If, if we are simply looking to be amongst 
and, and with those who wield power, then we're no better than anyone else in the kingdom we represent does not look unique or distinct from the world around us. But it's this, this compassion of Christ. He looks on people as people without a shepherd. He looks at crowds that could easily be dismissed to try and fend their own way for food, and he feeds 5,000. He, he looks upon the cripple. He looks upon the lame, the oppressed, uh, the people who are unstable, and, and to them, he manifests the kingdom of God. That's why opportunities like we are involved with here at Faith Communities, like uh, orphans in Ukraine or orphans and in Uganda uh, with the GEMS Foundation, whether it's translating scriptures in parts of the world that are poor and needy, uh, and on and on it goes. It's, it's this idea that God's kingdom comes to everybody, but it has a unique compassion for those women and men and youth and kids who have no advocates, uh, who have no option. They need someone um, coming from outside uh, to um, transform and extend uh, God's presence to their circumstances. Uh, the soil must be penetrated by a foreign power to have a seed um, pressed in. Uh, and the dough won't rise uh, unless something from without is pressed in and mixed in. And so it, it is one of the unique characteristics of the kingdom of God that Jesus has this compassion which drives him to bring God's kingdom, God's realm, bring them into God's realm, let them come under God's reign and let them be blessed by God's real presence because God's realm, reign, and presence are incarnate in Jesus and then he promises to incarnate that kingdom in the outworkings, expressions, and relationships that come through a local Christian community. So we have contrast, we have um, the characteristic of this power that can uh, extend and transform, uh, which leads um, next to confidence and hope. Uh, trees grow from small seeds. Uh, sourdough bread um, rises because it's been uh, penetrated by the starter dough. Uh, and so when you plant a seed, you have expectation that it's going to grow. When you, when you take your starter dough and mix it in the lump of dough to, to make this soured dough bread, uh, you have expectation that the starter is going to permeate and the bread will rise. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. Only the gardener that looks at that dirt and who has planted the seed can have any expectation that that dirt is different than other dirt. In other words, as followers of Jesus Christ, we look at a situation, a circumstance, people, relationships, and if we have the confidence that God's kingdom has come like a seed, or God's kingdom has come like leaven mixed into to dough, then we have expectations. We have expectations that God's presence is expanding. We have expectations that God's presence is going to transform lives and situations. We have presence, we, we have confidence that God's kingdom presence is being extended and being multiplied even though other eyes that lack faith will lack confidence 
and therefore will want to seize power and use it to their own ends, uh, even if their motivations might be good. Look at a patch of land, and if you're the gardener, you have expectations for what you expect to pop up through the soil. Your, your confidence in God's kingdom, uh, your belief in Jesus and the kingdom he, he brings is either going to create confidence, which we call faith, expectation, which we call faith, hope, which arises from faith. All of these things grow within us if we are confident that God's kingdom has been sown. Imperceptible to the world like a mustard seed. Imperceptible to the world like a woman who has mixed starter dough in the lump. Like the seed, like the leaven, it's the inward life, it's the inward vitality that gives it the power to grow or to affect whatever it touches. Maybe another way to look at it, it might be too soon to use this analogy, Maybe if Jesus was here today, he would say, for the kingdom of God is like a virus that penetrated one person and then spread to another and to another and to another until it touched all people around the world. Maybe too soon to use it, but you know, the thing about these, this coronavirus and all viruses is that they're, they're invisible to the eye. God wants to extend His presence through us here at Faith Community. He wants to uh, express Himself, bring His rule, establish His realm, and manifest His presence as we bring Jesus into the world around us. And so, as we think about this, a uh, few practical things. Don't be afraid to start small. As I have slowly gotten to know my neighbors in a fresh way, um, it's interesting how the minute you begin to, to see people through the lens of the kingdom, of saying that, you know, I don't have to be confident in myself. I, I just have to be confident in the power of a seed. I just have to be confident in the power of leaven that God promises that even though it has imperceptible beginnings, I can begin to sow the presence of God in these relationships uh, with my neighbors. In fact, if anything, uh, take confidence in the small beginnings and allow that to liberate you all the more to say, I want to say yes to bringing the kingdom of God uh, into the lives of other people. Uh, that can start with you just baking cookies for a neighbor who's just moved into the house. That can, that can start with you caring for someone whose illness has caused them to be shut in. Uh, that could cause you to reach out to people who have lost a loved one and just to, to be there with them. It could cause you to send notes, emails, whatever, texts to people that you know uh, in the marketplace where you work uh, and let them know that you're praying for them. Don't be bashful. Let's be the seed sowing man or the um, baker woman who sows something small, who takes starter dough and has confidence that it will grow and it will transform the lives we touch. Uh, God bless you.